welcome to Kids First Coming Attractions. Before you go out and spend money on that new movie, make sure to listen to the entire show right here on the Voice America Kids channel. We'll take you behind the scenes and preview new movies and DVD releases. Now, here are your hosts for Kids First Coming Attractions. Hello and welcome to the program, Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm your host, Keeper Blakesley, and it's the month of October, my favorite month out of the whole entire year. I can't wait for these wonderful fall films coming out, and of course, my favorite holiday, Halloween. We got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking to the one and only Julian Kaufman about Peking Duckling. We're also going to be talking about Rebel in the Rye, The Mountains Between Us, and The Gumby Movie. This show is sponsored by Boxcar Children Surprise Island. And as you can hear from outside, the traffic is honking outside because we have a wonderful guest today. We're going to be talking to Julian Kaufman, who is the writer, director, and animation director of the Disney Junior show, Peking Duckling. We're happy to have you on the show, Mr. Kaufman. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, happy to have you here. So I'm testing a bit about what Peking Duckling is. This is a show that is currently on Disney Junior. It's a show about three friends who just have silly adventures together and uh, a lot of comedy. And yeah, it's just a lot of fun. There's a pig, a, a wombat character, and uh, the main character is a duckling. Well, it certainly looks like an absolutely adorable and charming show. So. Tell us about your role as like an animation director and what kind of like that, what sort of is description and what you do on the show. So the animation director, I oversee the whole animation department and there's a lot of animators. It takes a lot of people to work on the show. And so and everybody has their own style of how they do things. So the animation director's job is just to sort of pull everything together and give it a nice fluid and consistent look to it and just to get great animation there's a ton of talented people but it's just to sort of help sort of manage all those people working on it now what would you say is some one of the most like what's some of the difficulties of being an animation director uh the difficulty there's a lot of difficulties and one of the biggest problems or difficulties we had on this series was that we were located in New York City, and all the animators were located in China. Ah. So there was a lot of communication, having to go back and forth, and English wasn't their first language. So trying to communicate ideas and notes to them was not always easy. And there was a learning experience for each side. So that was the biggest difficulty, is just communicating. Now, I'm going more in-depth about you and your career. Uh, is this... Tell us a bit about like your your background in directing and running shows. Well, I, you know, I I moved to New York. I, I had went to film school. I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with my life, and I did many jobs. I worked in an off Broadway theater, but then I just started working on some of my own animations, just because I wanted to tell my own stories. And I wound up at a company called Little Airplane which they are just starting a show called Wonder Pets at the time, which was on Nick, Nick Jr. And I started off just as a production assistant, just doing just small jobs. And I just was there for 10 years, worked my way up until I got to the animation director role. So it was a lot of hard work, a lot of luck. There's always a lot of luck and a lot of fun, too. Now, you mentioned also you were one of the writers of the show. Tell us a bit about how the, the writing process is for this show. So... 
I, yeah, I, I wrote, I think there's 52 episodes. I wrote 12 of them. There was a lot of writers. And so as a writer, you'd be given a story to tell and they, uh, somebody would come up with a story idea. And then as a writer, you would write it out and then present it to the head writer who oversees everything. And he's sort of like the animation director. He sort of makes sure the writing's consistent for all the episodes. And he would give you notes. You would go back, write out a uh, second pass and a third pass. And it, it's, it's a long process. And finally, once it gets good enough, they take it off to the next stage. Uh, not only are you just the uh, animation director, but you're just the director in general. So does that mean you get to work with also the voice actors as well? I did, yeah. Um, that's uh, we recorded all the voices in New York. Yeah, I, I wore more, many hats on this, and it was a challenge just uh, sort of filling all those roles. But yeah, we had a great cast. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it certainly that sounds like it was yeah. an absolute blast. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm your host, Keeper Blakesley. Today we're going to be talking about Rebel in the Ride, The Mountains Between Us, Gumby the Movie, Earth One, The Little Prince, The New Mission, and Battle of the Sexes. We're going to continue this show. We're talking to Julian Kaufman about Peking Duckling and his adventures in making the show. So, Mr. Kaufman, um, what would you there was when... As a director, I'm sure there was a certain sort of communication you have with actors, and it's much different for animation in particular because you have to try to direct them in a way that is all in the voice. So what would you say, how, how would you describe the communication with your actors? Uh, well, the actors are, I mean, these are great professionals, super at their job, and so... The biggest thing was just to get sort of the right energy because we do all the voice before there's any picture. So they're just standing in a room with mics. And so it's just trying to remind them of what's going on in the scene and build the energy. When you're acting on set, you have other things to interact with, but they only have their voices. So the challenge is just to get the right um, sound and the right mood out of them and just uh, to keep them on uh Sometimes they'll they'll uh, with the voices they'll start to get off character a bit, and you have to remind them, oh, okay, you're starting to sound a little off. So mm-hmm. it's it's uh, just sort of guiding them and letting them do their work because again, they're amazing actors. So uh, it's it's a real blast working with them. Yeah. Now, also um, working on this, so like, what do you want kids to gain from this show? Um, there's a lot of things. Um, I mean, we always try to get messages in about friendship. That's a big part of it. But mostly this show, and we've had other shows where we've had very educational shows. This show's though more just about having fun and sort of being yourself and finding humor. I, I, I think humor is a very important thing in the world, and uh, laughter is an amazing thing, and it's also often underestimated. So this show's more just a fun show, and uh, we hope kids will laugh when they see it. Now, when I was researching the show and watching some episodes myself, I, I found it quite interesting that I see that it's under adventure, comedy, animation, but also surreal humor. Uh, I'm, I'm curious um, about that, and what does it mean by surreal humor? Because I have not <laughs> seen that in, like, a children's show. Uh, you know, I, I actually haven't heard it called that, but um, I guess I would say that the humor is sort of bizarre and... It's a little bit like Looney Tunes where odd things happen and that aren't really related to the real world. So it's almost like 
it's just it's, they're almost in a fantasy land. So it, it's we really tried to go bizarre and crazy and just weird things happening, like a dogfish and uh, the town getting turned into a huge ice cream sundae and things like uh, that. Thanks for that clarification, because when I saw that, I'm just like, hmm, that <laughs> seems like my cup of tea right there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what do you feel like is during the process of making your um, your group of episodes, what do you feel like are you most proud of and, and which episode you consider your pride and joy, I would consider? I would say the first episode that I wrote, uh, uh, Dogfish, uh, I really felt like I got out of it in the writing and directing what I wanted to. And I just, it was my first one and I just really loved it. And uh, it felt like it was a hard one to top. I mean, we, we go for two years on these productions. So by the end, you're sort of worn out. But I still look back at that one as the one I really felt like I got my own self into that episode. Very interesting. And what is it like also, because again, you want to make sure that the show is consistent. There's like multiple different directors and writers on this show. Can you talk about like the communication you have with each other to make sure that the show is not only like each director and writer has a unique take on it, but also is consistent with the show? Yeah. So we start off before any episode uh, and an episode last months in production, but we started off where the director presents his or her ideas to the rest of the team. Everybody's included. Everybody can throw ideas and the producers there to sort of keep us on track. Like, okay, the characters would never do this. So, um, yeah, so that's sort of the, our, how we start off and then sort of keep that consistency. Absolutely fascinating. Well, Julian, I would thank you so much for being part of the show and also for telling us a little bit more insight about Peking duckling. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you very much. Please go check out Peking Duckling out. It's on Disney Junior, so please go check it out on your local listings. Thank you again, the man, the myth, the legend, Julia Kaufman. But with that said, let's take a break. I'm your host, Keeper Blakesley, and this show is sponsored by Boxcar Children's Surprise Island. Kids safe, mother approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids. To become a Kids First film critic, enter one of our local campaigns running throughout the year or join our national campaign this fall. We are looking for kids ages 7 to 16 who love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to see movies before anyone else does. All you need to do to enter is submit a written and videotaped review of one of our selected films and then reach out to your friends and family to vote for you. This summer, join us at one of our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps in three cities, New York, Washington, D.C., and Martha's Vineyard, where you can learn how to critique films and practice your on-camera and acting skills. Check it all out at www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to be one of America's next film critics? Just visit kidsfirst.org for more information. Hurry, our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps are filling up fast. Join our team of youth reporters and help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose to go see. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. tuned in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Shh, 
Turn off your phone. Another movie review is coming up. Hey, welcome back. I'm Samantha Marcus, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. We've been talking about Peking Duckling, and next we'll be talking with Tristan, who is from Dallas and is 14, about the upcoming film Rebel in the Rye. Thank you, Tristan, so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. No problem. So I read a little bit about Rebel in the Rye, and it really intrigued me because it's about J.D. Salinger and his fame through the commendable novel Catcher in the Rye. I read it in 11th grade. It was the book that officially got me to start reading, so I love it. But I want to hear your opinion. So if you could tell me a little bit about what you thought about the film. Yeah, so as you mentioned, it focuses on uh, J.D. Salinger's life, who is the author of Rebel, or Catcher in the Rye, sorry. So the main things I thought about this movie was it it had, it was sort of depressing, but it wasn't in the sense that made you feel bad in the mo- about the movie, but it was inspiring at the same time, if that makes any sense. That actually does make a lot of sense. Wow, I mean, to incorporate depressing but inspiring in the same film. So what would you say, how would it be depressing and inspiring without, you know, giving too much away? So the story about, like, his life takes place in uh, World War II, and he actually has to go to war um, right after he gets out of college for writing and he has to go to war. And so there are some sequences in the film about his journey during the war and what he had to go through. And it was very intense. And when he got back to his homeland, it was just, he was so much different. His character had completely changed and the actor was amazing who played JD Salinger. He was a really great actor, but the events that took place in his life with the war and how it changed him and how it affected his life and how it kind of alienated him when he published the novel Catcher in the Rye. That really, it it wasn't super depressing, but it kind of had that tone of s- sadness, I guess. Wow, I honestly, I think that that's great. When I read the book in school, I thought that that was just a really unique novel. And then to put it into a motion picture and really talk about how he was influenced by what he wrote and the meaning behind it and just making a whole movie about it, I think was great. So you said that you really admire the character that played J.D. Salinger. Would you say he's your favorite? Out of the actors in this movie, I'd say he have to be my second favorite because my actual favorite was uh i'm trying uh wit burnett he played uh his college professor and he was really awesome wit burnett was the name of the college professor he was played by kevin spacey and kevin spacey did a really great job at like embracing that role because he was one of the main characters in the movie but he didn't feel like he was too obtrusive like he wasn't throughout the whole movie or he was, but he wasn't like in every scene, similar to what J.D. Salinger, his actor was. But I really thought that Kevin Spacey's Whit Burnett, his character, was really inspiring. That's what I really found. And J.D. Salinger's actor was really great at his role, but they were, they were both really good. That's the best part of mo- about a movie, honestly, is when, you know, 
the plot is really good, but then when you have the characters that really enhance the plot and, like you said, that are very inspiring and that, you know, it makes it much easier to relate to. So I'm really glad that you said that because a lot of people, I'm sure, would love to watch it just because it's so relatable and it's such a unique story. And it actually talks about not only his novel, but his life. Like you said, he talks about his college professor. And, you know, we all go to school, whether we're in college or not. You know, there's something to relate to. So I really thought that that is something that would really appeal to me and I'm sure to everybody else. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids Network. Today we're talking about some incredible films like Peking Duckling, Rebel on the Rye, The Mountain Between Us, and The Gubby Movie. Right now, I'm talking to Tristan, who's from Dallas and is 14, about Rebel on the Rye. So we were just talking about how the characters in the film were very inspiring and that the film was just very eye-opening. So would you say that, given that, was there a favorite scene that you had in the film? I really liked the war scenes. I mean, they were very intense and kind of graphic, but I really like watching historical pieces because I I find that stuff really intriguing. So I'd have to say all the sequences with him in the war, they were really intense, but I I really love them because they were shot really well and the sets looked amazing. And those were probably my favorite scenes. And I have to say one thing really quickly is that this this movie while it was it was good it wasn't a movie that I would probably go see on my own time like I I typically wouldn't go see this movie but I did think it was not a waste of time I thought it was good so why wouldn't you want to see it is it just because it's not really your type of film you know because everyone has a film or a genre that we really relate to I know this film is so different so is there a reason why you wouldn't want to see it on your own time? It's not really the type of film that I would usually watch. There was a lot of elements that I liked the, to this, like some of the acting in the war scenes and the different set pieces and the historical pieces and stuff. I really like that. It's just the overall kind of tone of kind of that depressing feeling, but also inspiring. It. It's not that it didn't sit well with me. It just left me feeling, when I left the theater, it left me feeling like, not sad, but kind of, it made me think a lot about life. And uh, I sometimes I like that stuff and sometimes I don't. But I just, it's not really my type of film. I, I don't really know how to explain it very well. Well, that's that's perfectly understandable. I mean, I understand there's, Sometimes there are just films that we don't really connect with, but they're inspiring, like you said. So would you recommend that they would create another movie based on J.D. Salinger's life? Because he's written many novels and he's been a really a great influence in a lot of classrooms across America. I think it would be good. Like, I think a lot of people will like this movie. It just wasn't my personal preference. But I think they, they should make another one. But based off of one of his novels, I don't think that they should make one based off of his life because this one really covered his entire life. And I don't want to spoil anything, but it it followed him throughout his entire life. So they don't really have any room to make another one based on that. Right. That, that makes sense. I mean, the film does sound 
very interesting, but, you know, it's obviously not going to be everyone's type of film, but maybe they will make another film. Who knows? So what would you say is the moral or message of the film, or what could you take away from it? I'd, I'd say that the message is never to give up, although there are some contradictions to that message in the end. I don't want to leave any spoilers, but throughout the film, it's the theme is about perseverance. And a lot of movies have that, but this one does it kind of in a unique way that it doesn't feel like it's been used like this before, because that theme is used over and over again to never give up in films. But this one really makes it feel fresh. Right. Well, I think that's really a powerful message. So my last question to you is, what would you say is the age or the star rating for this film? I'd say 14 to 18, but beyond 18, there would be some people that would like this. But below 14, I don't think would be like captivated or entertained by this film because there are some really dull parts and it kind of drags on. And I'd give it three out of five stars because I thought it was good. I, it just wasn't my personal preference. And there were some themes throughout it. Like there was some acting I didn't really like and some of the movie was kind of boring, but it all made sense in the end. Well, that's honestly, that's great to hear. Well, thank you so much for, you know, giving an honest opinion. I know it's, you know, I guess hard to give your honest opinion because you know that most people who are going to see this film, they want to hear a really good review about it. But your honesty is really appreciated because I'm sure that, you know, you're right and that I think we can both agree that it has such an inspiring message. So thank you so much for talking about the film today. Thank you for having me again. So Rebel in the Rye, you can catch it in theaters now. And like Tristan said, it's a good film, but it may not be for you. But you should check it out anyway just to see how you like it. Let's take a quick break. I'm Samantha Marcus, and you're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. Today's show is sponsored by Boxcar Children Surprise Island. Kids safe, mother approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids. To become a Kids First film critic, enter one of our local campaigns running throughout the year or join our national campaign this fall. We are looking for kids ages 7 to 16 who love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to see movies before anyone else does. All you need to do to enter is submit a written and videotaped review of one of our selected films and then reach out to your friends and family to vote for you. This summer, join us at one of our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps in three cities, New York, Washington, D.C., and Martha's Vineyard, where you can learn how to critique films and practice your on-camera and acting skills. Check it all out at www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to be one of America's next film critics? Just visit kidsfirst.org for more information. Hurry, our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps are filling up fast. Join our team of youth reporters and help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose to go see. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. tuned in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Shh, turn off your phone. Another movie review is coming up. Hello and welcome back to the program, Kids First Coming Attractions. 
I'm your host, Keeper Blakesley, and we just got done talking about the rebel in the rye and talked to our wonderful guest, Julian Kaufman, about Peking Duckling. Right now, we're here with the wonderful Jerry Royce talking about the Gumby movie. We're also going to talk about the mountains between us. Thank you very much for being on the show, Jerry. It's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure to be on the show. All right. Tell us about the Gumby movie, the, the movie based on the classic stop-motion claymation show back in the, what, 70s, I believe? 60s, 70s, 80s. The Gumby show existed for a long time. And at the very end of its reign, the very last thing they made was the Gumby movie, which was released in the 90s, I believe. And now in 2017, this is a remastered version, which not only comes with DVD, but Blu-ray, some extra features, and it's overall packaged very nicely. But... Back to the movie itself, the Gumby movie is just like a very, very long episode of the Gumby show. Instead of just like a few minutes of different stories, it is like an hour of one grand adventure of Gumby and his friends. Now, you've been in the Gumby collections and collection episodes, so you're pretty accustomed to the Gumby fan bases, I would say. Yes. So, this being a feature-length film of the Gumby movie, do you feel like fans are going to get exactly what they want? And even get other people who have not been accustomed to Gumby into the show? You know, I think the thing about Gumby is there was never any introduction. Even from the original 60s episodes, there's never introduction. The very first episode is just another adventure with Gumby. So I really don't think there's a place where fans can quote-unquote start or people can quote-unquote start. So yeah, I think this is a great place for people to start watching it. And for fans, I think that this isn't exactly the greatest Gumby ever made. I'm sure there's a few things they could have improved on here and there, but overall it's a great watch. It's a great watch with the family. Something I like is that there's these little side stories here and there that lasted five to ten minutes, and they were like their own separate little Gumby episodes, which was kind of cool to see in a feature-length film, and it overall really is an enjoyable film, and it's just so Gumby. It's nice that they are able to extrapolate an adventure that usually doesn't take an hour to over an hour and still make it entertaining and very uh, original. Now, you mentioned in that saying that it's just so Gumby. Can you elaborate on what that means? Sure. So the Gumby shows, they're very unique in their humor. They're not that type of jokes where you kind of see on cartoons these days, not all cartoons, but quite a few, where it's just the same kind of more inappropriate jokes over and over again. Gumby was different. He was very fantasy, very kind of surreal, back to surreal humor that we talked that talked about earlier in this show. And it's a very good example of that. These crazy adventures you'd never seen in real life, anything like it that happened in this show. And it's kind of just sparks your imagination more than make you laugh. And that is kind of the feeling of the Gumby shows. It's a very imaginative show that always has some strange and unique and fantastical story. Well, Gumby is certainly unique and honestly an icon in the many and uh, in like the stop motion era, and it's it's sad that stop motion is it's not as prominent as it used to be. There was of course there was some studios keeping up with that like Liker, but it's definitely a unique show and unique movie. So you mentioned that there's also special features on this DVD. Can you tell us a bit about of what those are? Yeah, so they aren't as much as the other collections. If you want to see special features, the 60s collections and the other collections from the actual show has hours and hours of special features. But this one does have some pictures that weren't on the other ones from, like, the original sets in the 90s. And it's pretty interesting. Like, they showed 
a close-up of the camera taking the pictures. They showed them making the Gumby prop for the actual stop motion. It's very interesting to see them work. You know, you really never realize how of a precise art uh, stop motion is because in animation, it's a precise art, but you have the computer doing pretty much everything for you. So it's very, very unique and very it's such an eye-opening experience to kind of see those pictures on set. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's why I love collecting DVDs because you're able to get the behind-the-scenes extra bits that you don't usually get to see, which is it's just it's just fascinating. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. I'm your host, Kiefer Blakesley, and we're going to continue the show talking about the mountains between us. Right now, we're going to also continue our conversation with Jerry about the Gumby movie. This show is sponsored by... Boxcar Children, Surprise Island. Now, Jerry, you mentioned on the, you mentioned um, about the extras and how you get to be able to see the painstaking detail they put into like the stop motion. What is your opinion on like the decline of stop motion animation nowadays? Well, I think it's kind of one of those things where if you actually research it, it seems a little strange that it's happening because although computer animation may have give you the ability to do more and it may look more realistic at times especially now in 2017 it doesn't take as long animation computer animation is a very very annoying process just because of all the resources you need to get it to work including usually a very powerful computer like pixar dreamworks they have these million dollar supercomputers to make sure that their films can render otherwise it take years for the films to render so i think that Stop motion animation is something that people should go back to because although it may seem annoying, it really isn't any more tedious than any other form of animation. Often it can be faster than computer animation or even drawing animation that like Walt Disney used because it's a very strange way of working where you can physically work with your characters. Oh, definitely. And we have made some really big advancements in our stop motion technology that it is, even though CGI and community generation looks realistic, there's just something tangible about these, about characters like Gumby or characters like Coraline. They just, there's something real to them. But yeah, I would totally agree to you that it'd be nice for us to get back into that, even though it is quote unquote tedious. So what would you say is, why do you feel like Gumby became such a, does not say the icon, but as, as famous as it is in pop culture? Well, I think Gumby became famous because he, or the show itself, it wasn't made to have a complex plot. It wasn't made to make you laugh nonstop. It wasn't made to educate you. It was just made to spark your imagination. The show is written so it doesn't have a central plot at all. The characters kind of pop up, disappear, pop up, which makes it very flexible for what it can be. And that means that you can just go to any episode. You can watch it. You don't have to worry about a plot. You don't have to worry about, wait, who was this? Who did that? You don't have to remember 70 characters because the story doesn't want you to do that. They want you to enjoy Gumby. They want you to enjoy his adventures. It's like, just what if you could have these crazy adventures where the limit is your imagination? That's pretty much what the show is. And that kind of appealed to a lot of people, a lot of kids especially, because it's so simple and so imaginative. I think the same can go for something like the Peanuts. There, was, there wasn't anything grand or epic about it. They did teach you some lessons, and there was a story. But there's, there's such a simplicity to it that was just humbling, and it didn't need a big budget to tell stories, and it didn't need a big, a big beautiful animation department. It just needed a pencil, or in this case, just a big slap of clay, 
and a whole team of imaginative animators just to create something timeless in a way. Yeah, definitely. Peanuts is a perfect example of that. It's more that people were able to relate to it, but yeah, the simplicity was best. So it's interesting how even what's going, we're going on almost 30 years of Gumby has passed to see. Well, the 30 years, 30 years since, since the movie came out, but it's been going on. It's ever since the 60s. We're still talking about it and we're still celebrate, celebrating them in the anniversary, in the collection DVDs and the remastered Gumby movie DVD. So it's interesting. Well, thank you so much, Jay, for talking about the Gumby movie. It's always a pleasure. Of course, it's a pleasure to talk about Gumby always, and especially with you. <laughs> well, this DVD is out on DVD now, so please go check it out and get, learn as much as you can about the wonderful Gumby. And also check out the previous 70s, 60s, and 80s collections of Gumby episodes. With that said, let's take a break. I'm your host, Keeper Blakesley, and this show is sponsored by Boxcar Children Surprise Island. Kids safe, mother approved. You're listening to Voice America Kids. To become a Kids First film critic, enter one of our local campaigns running throughout the year or join our national campaign this fall. We are looking for kids ages 7 to 16 who love movies, love talking about movies, and love the chance to see movies before anyone else does. All you need to do to enter is submit a written and videotaped review of one of our selected films and then reach out to your friends and family to vote for you. This summer, join us at one of our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps in three cities, New York, Washington, D.C., and Martha's Vineyard, where you can learn how to critique films and practice your on-camera and acting skills. Check it all out at www.kidsfirst.org. Think you have what it takes to be one of America's next film critics? Just visit kidsfirst.org for more information. Hurry, our Kids First Film Critics Boot Camps are filling up fast. Join our team of youth reporters and help us help other kids make smart decisions about the movies they choose to go see. At Kids First, we believe that smart kids make smart consumers. You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. tuned in to kids first coming attractions on the voice america kids channel Shh, turn off your phone another movie review is coming up hey welcome back i'm smith marcus and you're listening to kids first coming attractions we've been talking about the gumby movie and next we'll be talking with jerry who's from la and is 15 about the mountain between us thank you so much for being on the show today of course so i did a little research on the mountain between us and it's about a tragic plane crash, and two strangers must develop a connection in order to survive on a snow-covered mountain, which, honestly, it sounds very difficult to do, and it sounds really intriguing, so why don't you just tell me a little bit about what you thought? Sure. So this is a decent film at achieving a plot like that. I agree with you that it is very hard, and for the technicality perspective of it for the most part they did a fantastic job i mean most of the film takes place or it looks like it takes place high in the snowy mountains so it does that very well and it looks very good i mean the special effects are amazing there are quite a few scenes with special effects the plane crash looks spectacular maybe one of my most favorite plane crashes in films ever 
just because of the cinematography. The acne, of course, is amazing. You have Idris Elba playing Ben Bass. You have Kate Winslet playing Alex Martin. I mean, they are just spectacular together. And overall, I think the story was done very well. This was an adaptation from a novel. I've never read the novel, but I know it's difficult to extract this two-hour plot from an over 100 pages. So good job on that. There are a few things I thought they could have improved on, especially towards the end. I don't know if they stretched out the ending due to it being a book or something else, but the ending was way too long, and overall there was a lot of filler scenes. I mean, the film was almost two hours long, and it could have easily been an hour-and-a-half film, and that would have fit much better to the rather simplistic story. Wow. I mean, you said, you said like everything that you know I was thinking about. It's, it sounds like a really... Great film, and yeah, I, I can agree with you. Sometimes when the films are a little longer, it doesn't need to be because it's so powerful just at an hour and a half, like you said. So, since you said that there was great acting and cinematography, can you tell us a little bit about maybe your favorite character in the film? Oh, that's tough. I, I, it's I'm kind of torn, and I think I'm gonna have to say. Let me explain it before I say this. There are three characters in this whole thing because. Well, there are four people in the plane crash. It was the pilot, it was Alex and Ben, and it was the pilot's dog. Sadly, the pilot doesn't make it, but Alex, Ben, and the dog does. And I think you may know where I'm going with this. The dog is my favorite character just because of how wonderfully that the dog did for the acting. The dog was played by two dogs uh, named Raleigh and Austin, I think. And, I mean, it was just so lifelike. He or she just did spectacular and. The dog had such an influence on the story, even though they never actually gave the dog her name or anything like that. It was just so interesting how they gave such a small character such a big role. And a lot of the times, the big discoveries made in the film that keep the plot going was done by the dog, which was kind of funny and something that I thought was really unique. Wow, that does sound really unique. And yeah, dogs are like, they're just amazing. I actually was reading a book today and I found out that there are over 525 million dogs in the world. Did you know that? Fun fact. Wow. Soon enough, they're going to overtake humanity. <laughs> That's true. But yeah, it sounds like the dog was a great character. And I know there are many great characters in this film. And you said the cinematography was incredible. You also talked about a plane crash, which was your favorite. So did you also have, would that be your favorite scene? Or was there another scene that was even more fascinating to you? That would be my favorite scene because the cinematography has its ups and downs, but its highest up was in that scene. The entire scene, which I want to say is a few minutes long, was done in one single shot, which is just really, really hard to do, especially in such a small space because it wasn't a passenger jet. It was a little Cessna plane with two engines and maybe five seats. That's it. So it isn't exactly your giant commercial jet where you have so much room to do large shots. And they achieved it perfectly. They achieved the sound design. They achieved the cinematography, the acting, even the dogs acting in the plane crash. It was amazing. And just every part of it made it an intense and dramatic scene that really made you connect to the characters and wonder if they're okay, even though you know, because if they weren't, there would be no story. Wow, it really sounds like you enjoyed this scene. And I really want to see it too, because whenever you have, you know, like you said, great cinematography, sound, action. I mean, it really sounds like there were so many elements incorporated into the scene that were fantastic. So I can't wait to see it. You're listening to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids Network. Today we're talking about some fantastic films like Peking Duckling, Rebel in the Rye, The Gumby Movie, and The Mountain Between Us. 
Right now I'm talking to Jerry about the mountain between us. So Jerry was just telling us about this amazing plane crash scene and that the movie was very enjoyable for him. And it sounds like an incredible movie and I want to hear even more about it. So was there any part of the film that you said maybe when you were watching it, you're like, wow, I can really relate to this? Uh, this is a bit of a harder film to relate to because the plot is so intense. The main plot is about how two people are stuck in the wilderness and they become isolated and they, after it, share this unique experience that only they share. So it isn't exactly the most relatable of films just because that's such a unique situation that really only disaster survivors like plane crash survivors, people who are on stranded islands, things like that, the very unique few who had those unlucky situations could relate to. Yeah, it, it does sound like that, just because, like you said, the plot is really unique, and we haven't, you know, not many of us haven't experienced a plane crash, but I think it's really great how they made a whole movie about it, and just provides something to the audience to really look at it and be like, you know, even though we haven't encountered a situation like this, we can, you know, watch it, learn from it, and just really see something that we haven't seen, so... If they were to make another film, would you say that it would be beneficial? Would you say it'd be maybe redundant? Do you think that they should make more films? I mean, what do you think? It would probably be the worst idea ever in humanity because the core of the film when they're in the wilderness is really good and it's an exciting film. Granted, like I said, there are a lot of scenes they could have chopped out of them just walking in the wilderness, but... Towards the end, where there would be, I guess, a second film coming out of it, it was just so stretched on. And you were already tired from all those intense and dramatic and scenes of falling in ice and different things like that. So I really don't think it would be a good idea to make a sequel to this film just because the plot is over. They really stretched out the ending and kind of beat the story while it was down. So I don't think it would be a good idea at all to make a sequel to this. Wow, I really appreciate hearing that because it's very valuable information. I mean, it sounds like the film was good enough and that, you know, if they were to make another sequel, it wouldn't be, you know, obviously as good as the first one just because the first one basically covered everything. So why do you think people should see the film? Like, what's a, what's your main reason or main perspective on it that would, uh, you know, encourage other people to see it? Honestly, my only reasoning that you should ever see it in a movie theater is just for the sound, and specifically it's the sound in the plane crash. It's not the same experience to watch it on a flat screen, on a TV, or even on a computer, because you don't have that epic Dolby digital sound system, or whatever they call it in theaters, that just blast your ears out with these exciting sounds. And it just is such a unique experience, that plane crash. It's just so amazing. The sound design throughout the whole film is just really, really good. It's one of my favorite features of the film. So I say that if you really like the sound of films, this is a good film. But I would say this. It isn't exactly a film you're going to want to see again because one, the part you're going to remember of the film is at the ending, which was incredibly boring. There was quite poor cinematography. The acting was failing a little bit just because the story was so stretched out at the end. Wow, that's very, very honest of you to say, and I really appreciate hearing that. And I'm glad that you know you're giving your opinion on it, and I would... Can't honestly, I can't wait to see it because I actually want to see the part that you're talking about that's 
boring and that the cinematography wasn't really great. And, you know, that is, in movies, movies are great, but sometimes movies do have flaws, and it's even valuable just to see movies that may not reach your expectations just to, you know, experience more of different kinds of cinematography. So I think that's really fantastic. So my last few questions to you are, what would you say is the message of this film and the age and the star rating? So for the message, I really don't think there is a message. The closest you can get to a message, which is really stretching quite a lot, is saying something like friendship exists in isolation or the only way to survive is to stick together, something like that. But there really isn't a message. It's not an inspirational film trying to teach you something. And for age rating, it is a rather mature mature film. There's a lot of dramatic and intense scenes, and there's a lot of more uh, adult-oriented scenes. So I'd give an age rating of around 13 to 18. Parents should be a little weird. Definitely not a film you want to bring little kids to. And for stars, I have to give three and a half out of five stars. And really, it's only saving feature for three and a half is the plane crash. Other than that, I would probably give it a much lower star rating because there is a lot of the things they could have improved in in this film. They have a good story, but the ending was just really abysmal. There's so much wrong with it. A few shots in the ending really was just so terrible that I had to look away because of how bad the framing or the camera work was. So that's probably my age rating. I still think it may be a good film to watch in a theater, but to to watch at home, definitely not. Wow. Well, thank you so much for talking about this film. It's in theaters this Friday, October 6th, and I really appreciate everything you had to say. Of course. It was nice talking to you about it. Thanks so much for joining us. You've been listening to Kids First Coming Attractions. To watch our latest reviews of the latest films, DVDs, TV shows, music, and apps to learn how you can join our Kids First Film Critics team, go to www.kidsfirst.org. Be sure to check out our blog in the teen section of Huffington Post and check out our YouTube channel. You can get there easily from our homepage at kidsfirst.org. This show is produced by the Coalition for Quality Children's Media for the Voice America Kids Network. Today's show is sponsored by Boxcar Children's Surprise Island. I'm Samantha Marcus, and I wanted to wish you a National Handbag Day. Sneak some candy into your handbags, take some with you to the theaters, and bring your friends and check out these amazing films because you don't want to miss them. Thanks for listening. Thank you again for tuning in to Kids First Coming Attractions on the Voice America Kids channel. Now you know more about which movies are playing and can make an informed decision. Tune in again next week.